Hey there, what's up? Welcome back to another episode of Cart Overflow. I'm your host today, Gen Furukawa, and today I'm speaking with CEO and co-founder of Dacity. Dacity is an analytics platform for e-commerce brands. It helps you pull data-driven insights from the from your analytics. And as you might know, lots of marketers deal deal with having volumes of data, but that doesn't mean anything if you're not able to pull actionable insights from it. So for example, what does a dashboard look like? What should you be looking at every single day? This is something that Dan shares his perspective that there are six KPI and we can just cover it real quick. Traffic, conversion rate, number of orders, revenue, average order value, and cost per order or return on ad spend. We'll go into a lot of detail in this conversation. A few other things that I thought were really interesting that we covered. What the ideal lifetime value to customer acquisition cost ratio is. He puts it at three to one and he gives very detailed rationale on why he has that ratio. Then what the difference is between successful and struggling companies. Hint here, it's not about acquisition, but it's about retention. How often can you get that existing customer to come back and purchase again? So Dan is a wealth of knowledge in terms of e-commerce analytics, how to pull insights from it, the right questions to ask, and ultimately how to drive revenue and profit from your analysis. So with that said, I'd like to dive into it. Hope you enjoy. Welcome back, Dan LeBlanc, CEO of Dacity. Thanks so much for being here. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well. Thanks for having me on the show. Really excited to be here. Yeah. So I, I wanted to first start off with the founding story. And I, th- I think founding stories are an interesting place to start. But for Dacity in particular, so from my understanding, Dacity helps e-commerce brands understand and gather their data. But where it started was from a very large company and that's Provide Commerce. And it seemed like ProFlowers was one of the main early pioneers of e-commerce that was part of the Provide Commerce family. Can you just share a little bit about how you actually identified the problem before Dacity started and how you started there? Absolutely. So I, I think, you know, one of the things that made ProFlowers really good and a really, really successful business is we were hyper-focused on analytics. And when you think about a business that is so seasonal, so you basically have things going on, you know, it's basically you're stuck, you have Valentine's Day, you have Mother's Day, and you have Christmas. And those are the three holidays that really were important. And it was make or break for us. If we didn't make it in one of those holidays, we we're going to struggle for the rest of the year. And so what was really important is, you know, nobody no, nobody needs flowers on February 15th. They all need their flowers on February 14th. And so what was really important for us is we needed to be able to make a decision the two weeks prior around what was going to be profitable and not be profitable. And so we had our analytics down to the point where, we knew on you know in late january whether a channel that had a cpo of $150 was actually going to be profitable by the time we got to the week of valentine's day and we had Wait, all- sorry just to stop quickly a cpo cost yes. per cost per order cost so per order. got it okay you you're buying flowers for 40 bucks and it cost us $150 to get that order. Like that doesn't make sense from a revenue perspective, but we knew if that happened on January 28th, that by the time you got to February 11th or 12th, that that was going to be $8 because of the volume. 
And so we knew that modeling. And so it made it, and, and, and over years of doing heavy analytics. And so that really helped us become really powerful as a, as a company at ProFlowers and being effective in how we spent money to acquire customers and be profitable. And so you kind of take that and you take that concept and what happened in 2014 was FT, uh, Pro Flowers got bought. So they got bought by one of their main competitors, a company called FTD. And as with any acquisition, you have people that decide to leave the organization. And I ended up with some colleagues that went to these new emerging brands that were on this platform that none of us had heard of at the time, but is a household name today, Shopify. So new people that, so I had colleagues that went to movement watches, that went to uh, Rothy's, that went to Kapari. So a couple of uh, folks from, from the pro flower space, so Ryan Dell, Matt Gehring, Jameson Slattery, they all went to these brands. And these are people that are, are great marketers in the direct-to-consumer space now. And what was interesting is they all ended up in their in their organizations on this platform, Shopify, and it was... I don't know, I can't get the data that I had at ProFlowers. Like I used to have this dialed in and I knew exactly what I wanted to do running the marketing organization. And now I'm sort of flying blind. And so they came to, they came back to me and said, Hey, Dan, can you go help me do something? And that's how Audacity got founded it is, you know, if it wasn't for the demise of ProFlowers, I don't think Audacity would exist today because we all decided to move on, but we were loved e-commerce so much that we stayed in the ecosystem and uh, everybody's done really well and we are helping each other in terms of how do we help these brands grow and so that's that's how we started it was really kind of exciting that is really exciting and and now i think on the website is over 1500 customers some of those early like movement watches kapari are some of your your stalwart logos there but can we actually dig in a little bit to what you were talking about earlier where three days or or three events of the year make or break the year and so i'd love to learn a little bit about the strategy and like how analytics actually help you make the right or wrong decisions and then secondly in approaching that are you kind of uh, approaching it like a a one-time event or are you approaching recurring customers or people who have purchased before differently and and how you might, I don't know, consider the calculation of cost per order there. Absolutely. So what's really important is thinking about it from a lifetime value perspective. So when you think about sort of the year, you know, so take the flower industry as a great example. So if you come in on Valentine's day, the probability that you have a, that you We all have a mom. Some of us are married and have kids. And so the probability that you're going to come back and buy it Mother's Day is pretty good. And so what that does in the dynamics is it changes sort of the dynamics of what you're willing to pay to acquire a customer. So on Mother's Day, there isn't, guys don't, I don't know many guys who are like, hey, send me flowers for Father's Day. But that's something that we traditionally do for Mother's Day. And so for us, Mother's Day was kind of the last holiday of the season until you got to, you know, maybe Thanksgiving and maybe the holiday season. And so you go a really long time period where the likelihood of somebody to come back and repurchase drops significantly. And so for us, 
what we're able to do is say, I understand that this percentage of my population that are new customers that I acquire on Valentine's Day are going to come back on Mother's Day. And so, and if they come back, my number one channel that, or I want to drive them through my lower cost retention channels like email, which is much significant, which is significantly lower in cost than say getting them on Facebook again or, or some other channel. And so it changes the dynamics about what I'm willing to pay to acquire that customer. So I was willing to pay more in Valentine's day to acquire a customer than I was for mother's day. And so it's that intelligence that you know. And so you think about that within not just sort of our seasonal business, but you think about that within a brand as a whole. Is a is somebody at Christmas, is somebody that's pying for the holidays, whether you know it's Christmas, Hanukkah, whatever that holiday may be, but in the November time period, what is their repurchase rate? What is their lifetime value compared to somebody that you're buying, that you're acquiring at some other time? And so what's interesting is we all think about dumping tons of money in at holiday, but have you actually ever looked at the seasonality of whether those customers are, are as profitable or not? And maybe you need to have a lower threshold at that time period and actually a higher threshold because of that repurchase rate. And it's very, and those are the things that is very difficult for a lot of merchants to do just by looking within their e-com platform, like the reports you get out of your e-com platform. And that's why they tend to look for solutions like us where we can give them that insight and sort of really help them drill into that level of detail. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think analytics is is great and it, it's hard, but it really comes down to the questions that you're asking, right? And the, like knowing what nuggets you're trying to pull out. So if we, if we say like, all right, here, you can do it manually. And we all know doing it manually is a huge pain. But if you were to do that, like the theory in, you know, like the, the way that Dacity works, if I can just talk this out loud and think through it, you're basically pulling out the cohort. And, and let's say you're looking at historical data. So you're pulling out the cohort of people who purchase in Valentine's Day and then their likelihood of purchasing Mother's Day and then maybe in Christmas or Hanukkah. And then maybe you might segment that by channel acquired and then the channel that you're going, going to drive the repurchase with. And then compare that to other maybe non-customers or other customers who might have engaged at different points prior to that. And then their likelihood historically of converting at different points in the year. Is that exactly. Yeah, exactly. So we kind of think about it from a perspective of, you know, there, there's a couple of drivers within a business as a whole. So when you think about, so generally you're, you're trying to do, you're trying to acquire new customers, you're trying to retain customers, and then you're trying to make sure you got enough product. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Those are kind of the three levers. If you have nothing to sell, you're in a little bit of trouble. And then it's either you've got to get new customers, you've got to retain new, or you've got to retain your customers. And so for and so for any brand, whatever brand it may be, you need to do the data. You need data to help you determine what is the right strategy for those different things. And it's not, and actually maybe saying the right strategy isn't necessarily correct. It's about it's about if I want to go invest either time or resources, is that the right place where I should go invest money? And in more detail, where is it? So if you're on the acquisition side, it's 
should I invest in channel A or channel B? And you don't just want to look at it from a, as you said, you need to look at it from a lifetime value perspective. You don't just want to look at it from a snapshot. And then from a retention perspective, it's like, are you actually doing a good job of retaining your customers? I see brands from the data where a lot of their repeat purchasers are coming thin through high cost channels like Facebook. It's like, you've already paid a bunch of money to get that customer the first time. I feel terrible for you because now you just paid Facebook again to get somebody who you already have in your file. And then you think about sort of that inventory product and all that piece. And that's sort of a a separate thing, but it's data can help you in all those different areas in terms of figuring out how do you go make the right decisions in turn. And so that you can either grow your business or be more profitable, really one of the two. For sure. Now, Dacity is basically like, you know, the source of truth. And and so I've, I've come across this term multiple times and we kind of worked on it. And it's so important because if people are pulling data from different points and, and you're, you're just kind of getting a, a, a mess of stuff and garbage in, garbage out. So you're, you're kind of like flying blind at that point. You might as well not have analytics. But Dacity kind of pulls it all together, which I think is really cool. What I'd love to know, though, is your ideal dashboard. Because I think a dashboard is really important for what you have, but then also for what you don't have, because the more you have, then it, it just kind of confuses things. So at, at kind of like the, the five KPI level or something, what do you think are the most important metrics that every brand owner or, or CEO has to look at in order to understand the health of their e-commerce business? Yeah. So for me, uh, great question. And to me, there is there are basically six KPIs that everybody in a company should look at every day. And that is your traffic, your conversion, your orders, your AOV, your sales, and then you choose either your CPO or your ROAS. But, but essentially the marketing efficiency. Look at those six on a daily basis. I think that's super important. And then depending upon what sort of function you provide within the organization, you'll probably add a couple to there. And that's going to depend on, are you in acquisition marketing? Are you in retention? Are you a merchandiser planner? But those first six, everybody needs to look at just because it's going to give you a pulse in your business and that's going to tell you like a pulse and, and to determine whether something's wrong. Cause you get a feeling for, you're going to get a feeling and a comfort level for this is the right range for my business. And if it's high or low, then you know, to go check somewhere. Cause it should take you, you know, go look at that dashboard. It should take you about two minutes. Yeah. Do we do, are we on track? Okay, move on. Go do something else that's going to go help grow your business. If something's in the red, then you should be, okay, I got to go look at this because there's something out of the ordinary and I need to understand what's going on in the business. Yeah. Or, I mean, I've been in situations where, oh man, we're spiking. Like, you know, that, that first KPI traffic might be like through the roof, but oh yeah, we actually just turned on like a Google display campaign. <laughs> so you're getting a bunch of like mobile traffic from, you know, overseas that might not be converting so well. So yeah, it's, it's a place to start and then you kind of peel back the layers and dig in. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. So one of the biggest benefits that your 
providing is really accelerating ROI, right? And so I'd love to learn more about like the strategy from there. So you, you take your your dashboard of six KPI, but then to pull pull out the the return on the investment and ultimately profit. Uh, so I've never operated an e-commerce brand more on the software side, but I'd love to know like the brands that are seeing the biggest success with Dacity, how are they actually approaching the data and the decisions that they're making from that, whether it's you know more on the operation side of the manufacturing, importing or marketing, where profit is kind of like hidden there, but not, and you know, the data helps uncover or unlock yeah, that profit. Absolutely. So, you know, so I think what's interesting about e-commerce companies and, and that sort of those six KPIs that we're talking about is you said exactly, it's like, it gives you that initial set and then you, and then you go dig in deeper. And so when you think about something around, you know, traffic, the next level might be something around, oh, well, how much of that traffic is from new or returning customers? And you may not know at the customer level, but when you get your orders or you think of something, you've got a certain number converting, you've got your orders, how many are new customers and how many are return cu- returning customers? And I talked about how I've seen merchants where a lot of their returning customers are coming through what we'll call paid acquisition channels. And that immediately tells you you're not, the, one of two things is, is not working for you. Either your retention marketing isn't very good, or there's something about the way that you're branding your product to where they're not coming back directly to your website, that they're going. And so it's like, you're almost reacquiring the customer and that's a very expensive. So if you can shift that, if I can go immediately shift somebody from coming back in from a paid ad on Facebook to clicking on an email, I just saved myself a lot of money. And so, and you have that in different areas. So I see that in retention where it's like, where you want to really focus, where companies don't focus enough on retention. They focus a lot on acquisition. They don't focus on how do they kind of continue to engage with the customer post-purchase. And then other areas where, where cost can be a significant driver, you start thinking about things like inventory. So for most merchants, we are buying products somewhere. We're having it manufactured. In an ideal world, you're building that product as soon as somebody comes and orders it. But that is not the, like, we don't have the luxury. Most of us as brands don't have the luxury of doing that. And so what we have to think about is, how do we go and maximize the value of that inventory to be able to go and sell it immediately? So one of the things that we used to do at Pro Flowers was basically we would order, we would order a week's worth of inventory. And at the end of the week, we had to throw it away. Flowers only have mm-hmm. a certain amount of shelf life. So towards the end of the week, we're trying to figure out what our inventory is and we're changing the website to promote and demote products that we want to put in front of people and then doing email campaigns around how do we get to buy, get people to buy them. I love the, you know, I, I can't remember where I first heard it, but it's sort of this sort of funny story about there's sort of that, that, that story around never buy the chef special in a restaurant because that's what they have too much of inventory on, you know right? <laughs> yeah i was thinking the same thing like never buy fish on monday or tuesday and i think it might have been kitchen confidential anthony bourdain 
Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the exact thing, right? Is is that's because they haven't gotten the fresh stuff in. It's kind of older. They're putting it on sale. It's like they're putting it on sale for some mm-hmm. reason. And so it's and so I think about that as some of these different areas where merchants you've got to think about what you're there are some things that you can't control like going and changing your rent is not something that you can do very easily but the two things that you can really control well are how much inventory are you hanging on to and how much are you spending in marketing and those are the two levers that i think about from a business of if you have the right information then you can really kind of help your profitability by being intelligent on those two sides. Mm-hmm. There was a there was this post and thread that I saw a little while ago about Gymshark, and and I don't know if you know Gymshark, mm-hmm. Athleisure, British brand doing really well, and so their like cash conversion cycle is actually negative because they've basically generated so much built up demand that they can sell it immediately. So they don't actually have where the inventory that they have on hand is almost just. Uh, given on loan basically mm-hmm. by by manufacturers so it doesn't cost them anything so their cash flow is freed up to do other things like the customer acquisition part as opposed to buying more inventory to sell out yeah you're paying your vendor in 30 days on product and you're going through it so quickly and one of the key and so when you think about metrics around that it's understanding weeks of supply and inventory turns so as you get something in do you have a really dialed in? So what they've clearly got is a very dialed in ability to understand what demand is for their product for that to quickly go to a merchandiser planner who's making the purchase order, who's getting the inventory and being able to turn it around. And that can be easy for a large organization. So when you're really big like Gymshark and you're doing tons of business, yeah, you can go hire a bunch of people to go do that. When you're a small merchant, it's a lot harder for you to be on top of it. And that's why you need, but the, the, you need tools. And that's where somebody like we come into play is like that automatically calculate that for you. So we calculate, we know what your inventory level is. We know what your trailing sales are. And so we can give you insight into that. And I think that's where where one of those areas, as I said, is where brands can really kind of leverage the data Mm. to help guide them into the answers. Because what you often to see is this very much people doing it manually. They don't go, they don't look at it very, very often. And so you might be one of these brands that says, well, every three months I place a large PO and then you got to write a big check. Is there an opportunity for you to now, instead of every three months doing it, can you do it every month? And you're writing a smaller check. And so like the amount of cash that you need in the bank is a lot less to cover that that expense. And that's part of like just being more data-driven. Super interesting. And I think that's the beauty of what we briefly mentioned before we started recording Blue Apron and and I was doing a food delivery service, maybe similar to Pro Flowers, highly perishable product. So you're somewhat, you're not able to plan as much. And Blue Apron started around the same time, 2012, plated as well, where they actually gather the orders, then they they buy the ingredients. So there's there's really far less waste and there's there's a better understanding of what their needs are, which is essentially inventory management, like you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
So one thing that I'm still trying to figure out is the lifetime value calculation. And I think with e-commerce, it might get tricky. So subscription boxes are a little bit easier, subscription e-commerce, because there's a recurring frequency within a year in which something is ordered. So you know how many purchase, uh, how many purchases within before a customer turns. But for products where it might be like a, a single purchase, let's say maybe it's an apparel brand with a t-shirt or a watch brand. How are you actually calculating the lifetime value for those kind of brands? Like Movement Watch might be a great example of a lifetime value of something that's not really a replenishable product or not something that you'd purchase multiple, multiple times. Yeah. So you use a lot of historical data to help you in terms of your analysis. So you know... So you've acquired, you've acquired a certain customer that bought a certain product within a certain, but coming from a certain channel and you, and let's say that's a product, you know, in this in our, in for, for somebody like movement watches, you would say, well, we've had, maybe we've had that watch around for a while. And so you could go back to somebody that exhibited similar behavior a year or two years ago. And you're going to basically make the assumption that that customer is going to behave very similarly in from a, from a kind of cohort or what we say sort of group perspective. So the concept of a cohort being a number of people that fit a similar profile. And then you can do that based upon what's the channel of acquisition or what time period did they come in. And so that's how you essentially kind of model sort of lifetime value where it becomes a little bit more challenging is, you know, in sort of businesses where maybe you're doing sort of seasonal releases and these are all brand new products and you sort of don't have that product continuation. And so then you've got, so it, it all comes back to looking for similar type groups. So you're trying to essentially group customers into I think this customer group is very similar to this other customer group and they're going to behave very similarly. And that's how you kind of go calculate that lifetime value. And then you're sort of tracking. So that's kind of where you should be tracking those cohorts to see, are they doing better or the same? And that was something that for us at ProFlowers was really diff was very important, right? So we would go as I was going back to, you know, saying we knew that somebody that we got on Valentine's Day was um, going to perform at a certain level by that a certain percentage were going to buy at Mother's Day. So that was for us one cohort. And then we'd compare, you know, well, how did we do in 2020 compared to 2019 compared to 2018? And so that's a lot of how we kind of think about lifetime value and, and both historically, what was your lifetime value? And then if we have to make an estimation around what somebody that we acquire today is, what's their lifetime value? Mm -hmm. Okay. And then for SaaS, there's there's benchmarks like say three to one lifetime value to customer acquisition, and that's helpful because it gives a benchmark and a threshold where you really don't want to acquire a customer because at at a certain point it no longer makes sense because you'll you'll be eating into profits. Are there certain benchmarks you see, and of course it depends on niche and and average uh, order value for e-commerce in terms of lifetime value to CAC ratio. Yeah, strangely enough, it's actually about the same. So, so, and it's just about profitability. So, you generally want to be in the same, at least at that same range, because, you know, you have to think about sort of that lifetime value. And, and for most of it, they think of it as sales, not necessarily margin. But if you think of, 
you know, for most businesses, your gross margins, hopefully around 60%, your general administrative, it is about 20 is about 15%, your 10%, you know, 10, 10 to 15%, your marketing expenses, you know, no more than 20%. And so ultimately, you're hopefully making about somewhere between 10 and 20% profit on each order. That's kind of your long term goal. And so if you think about that from a from a LTV perspective, you're going to say, oh, I want my sales to be about 3x my acquisition cost. And so it's funny that that's the benchmark that you have for a lot of you know software as a service company. It's very much in line for a lot of for for a lot of of direct consumer brands. And that also, and so that sort of really determines drives like your product cost or what your average order value is on that first order and how your product cost can really drive what are you able to spend in terms of acquisition cost. Mm-hmm. And so it is really interesting like how similar those two are. And you know, I'd say the the only variation from from where that tends to kind of break down a little bit is products that are really inexpensive, but have like a really high repurchase. And, and, and so if I sell something for 10 bucks, but I sell 12 of them, that's going to be, you're still looking at sort of that same kind of comparison, but they, but it's the repurchase, the repurchase frequency is so much more. Uh, And so that's really the only big difference that you see is that you see from, from that LTV to CAC side. I was wondering about Examples like that, because I, I might think of Billy razors or native deodorant, where you, even at a high-end deodorant, 10, 12 bucks, uh, and they're running ads behind it, they're, they're probably acquiring the first one at a loss, but again, looking at their data, making their, their historically informed assumptions, they must assume, yeah, we'll, we'll sell X more to this person. Exactly. Yeah. And that's where that that comes in immensely is for the for lower cost items you're just assuming a higher repurchase rate to get you there because you almost have to lose money on that first order and so then your repurchase rate becomes really really mm-hmm. important it's a very different you know ultimately you're you're trying to get to how much revenue are you generating per customer over the lifetime and so for for those soaps and razors and sort of and say very low cost sort of replenishable they're still trying to get to the same profit per customer that somebody like a casper is it's just casper has to do it in one order mm-hmm. <laughs> and your billy razors can do it over you know maybe 10 12 15 orders yep absolutely so, and you better have your assumptions right. You better have your data intact, in and you better have full faith that everything is being tracked properly. So, I wanted to talk about specifically data and some of the things that are coming down the pike in terms of accessibility to data for merchants. And you know, there's been a lot of talk of the Facebook versus Apple and the iOS 14 changes and how merchants can actually track customers. So, all of a sudden the you know an email list might be more important or an sms list or the ability to communicate where you're not relying on third party data chrome is deprecating third party cookies in 2022 and so all of a sudden the landscape changes and it probably does as well for you where the marketing analytics are so important 
But I'd love to know your thoughts on what changes you foresee and then how merchants can get ahead of the curve in terms of like not being hit or not getting any surprise curveballs. Yeah, so I think there's a bunch of different areas. So you've got kind of, you know, this iOS 14, Google, Chrome, cookies, ITP concept. And I think what what's interesting about that is where it's really going to hit for merchants is more in the paid the paid marketing that they're running. And it may not necessarily make it less efficient. It's just that those platforms are going to be less optimized. And, and I guess inherently that sort of makes it the platform will be less efficient. But if you go back you know, 20 years ago when we all used to get a crazy amount of mail in the mailbox because everybody was sending catalogs and tons of direct mail and all that kind of stuff. Like they didn't know whether you opened it. They assumed you got it. And then the only, and then they didn't know you opened, viewed it, clicked it, anything like that. The last thing they knew was, did you place an order or not? Did you sign up or not? And so it's sort of funny because we're going to, we're going, we're, in some ways sort of regressing in terms of the amount of data that these platforms are going to have, but we're not regressing to a point that we haven't lived in before where, where people within this, within sort of that are alive today have not, and analysts haven't have lived with this environment before. And so what it's going to do is it's going to make it harder for these ad platforms to go and really optimize based upon the information they have. And so what's going to be really important is that we as brands push data into these platforms. So we kind of just go in and say, I want to run this campaign. Here's my audience. You know, Here's a couple of things that I want on my audience and let it run and let them run all these algorithms to go figure out who the best customers are. We're going to have to go down more of the mindset of, okay, I'm going to go use this paid social platform go build me a segment off of these people who are my customers who I want you to go and find. And so it's a little bit of a different dynamic than it has been in the past in terms of how you're driving sort of the marketing. So that's definitely one thing where I see sort of an impact is I think the, the you're still going to be able to be successful on Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram, whatever, whatever it may be, but it's going to be a little less just go generate a cool campaign and sort of set it and forget it. And you're going to have to do a little bit more legwork in terms of building out your own, using your own data to try and drive that platform to be really beneficial. Mm -hmm. But what what you're suggesting is, is kind of like using, and it it sounds like a lookalike audience, right? Like, so uploading, these are my, you know, high LTV customers, find similar audiences or similar groups within Facebook. But by definition, Facebook wouldn't have access to that data anymore, right? Or well, less so. Yeah. So what Facebook, so so the big change is Facebook is not going to be able to necessarily track to see what people from they they serve an ad and they're not necessarily going to know whether that ad was successful or not. And they don't know whether they came to your site and they don't necessarily know whether they made that purchase. And so Mm. the way that you can get around that is basically by you pushing the data back into Facebook and saying, Uh here's somebody who ordered. So, and then for them, it can be, 
for them, it can actually end up being a roll up, right? In the, or they're kind of taking this data and saying, okay, I know who I, I know who I advertise to as a platform. You're telling me who ordered, I can now match those two and mm-hmm. help build my algorithm that way. And so that's very different from them. You know, today, like we don't have to give Facebook any data. You just basically build that campaign and you're off and running. In the future, it's going to be, it's going to be in your best interest to feed Facebook data of these are the people that bought Mm -hmm. and so that they can optimize. And so that's kind of the difference. And so that puts more onus on you as a merchant to be able to go do that in some sort of fashion. And so I think that's the, and, and that's the big difference. And then you think about that is, okay, well, are you going to tell them everybody that bought? Maybe you don't want to tell them everybody that bought because maybe you want to, as you said, you want to send them just your high, high LTV. Like, cause if you send them everybody, including all the single purchasers, like you're going to get a bunch of more single purchasers. Is that really mm-hmm. what you want? Probably not. And this is exactly what we used to do back when companies used to send lots of direct mail. That's exactly what they used to do is they would go and say, okay, I can't do acquisition. I, can, I only have my customer list. I don't have acquisition. So they would go to these data vendors, the catalog companies that had basically the name and address of like every individual in the U.S., and they, they essentially would go and you'd give them your customers and then they'd build models and say, here's the, here's like the top 10% and here's the bottom 10%, like which percent, which groups do you want to go, uh, do you want to send a catalog to? And, you know, you'd usually be, be sitting there going, um, like the top one and the <laughs> yeah. second one, because you knew you're going to lose money at the bottom one. And so that's what we used to do. And so it's just basically it's now that's just happening in the digital space. So this non-digital is now the old catalog methodologies moving into the digital space because people don't want to be tracked everywhere they're going to where they're going, <clears throat> and it'll be interesting to see, you know, how many people don't want to be tracked. I think that's going to be the big question mark. You know, it'll be interesting from a consumer perspective because you know if you remember a number of years ago there were some articles coming out about how. Expedia, I think it was Expedia and somebody else, like they actually showed different hotels based upon whether you're on an iPhone or an Android. And that mm. was because it turned out that people on an, on an iPhone generally spent more on a hotel. So as a consumer, are you going to have people that want to allow that because it's going to give them a richer, it's going to give them more content that they're interested in. So when you're in your Facebook, if you stop doing the internet, if you sort of say, don't allow any of that data, you might start getting a bunch of ads that are for products that you have no interest in. Now, at least usually with retargeting and things, it's like you're seeing ads that it's like you've shown some interest for. So it'll be sort of interesting how that plays out from the consumer side as well. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe what you alluded to earlier is targeting might be a little bit more broad. And therefore, relevance might not be there. CPAs overall might inflate a little bit, but it seems like something that's spread across industries where everybody's negatively impacted. Yeah, I think you know the expectation is 
costs are going to go up a little bit. They're going to go up. And then the better that you do to manage it and really play a much more active role, the more successful you'll be in kind of minimizing that cost going up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I wanted to finish with, I'm trying to figure out one of the most tactical ideas in terms of unlocking data-driven growth. So I think we've discussed there's there's segmentation, there's you know at a cohort level looking at acquisition channels, there's properly identifying what the lifetime value is or expected repurchase rate. But what do you think the most important thing is that a merchant can do in order to unlock data-driven growth by looking at their analytics today? One of the areas, yeah, I think that's a great question. One of the areas that I've been really thinking about a lot recently and something where I've seen, uh, for me, is almost one of the biggest differences between successful growth and companies that struggle is really understanding retention. And it's interesting, like we all go hire marketing people and then tell them to focus on getting new customers. And then we don't focus. And and at some point, the percentage of customers who are your repeat customers should be higher than your new customers. That's how you really build these six. That's what I've noticed is successful companies have, you know, aside from like single purchase, have really good retention. And so I think for me, it's a little bit around repurchase rate, what percentage of a cohort has repurchased and tracking that over time is really great from an understanding how you're improving. And then it's thinking about how do you go take that customer data that you have and thinking about segmenting your customers from your retention perspective. So you get a new customer. Do you have a welcome series? Are you doing something special to introduce that customer to your to your brand now they've come and bought a second time if are you doing anything different after that person got the welcome series like we all have these sort of daily weekly campaigns right if somebody behaves differently are you actually doing anything differently or are you just sending them the same old thing as everybody else and that's one of the areas where i think a lot of brands have a lot of opportunity because you've already spent so much money to get these customers. So use the data that you have to go and think about that customer experience and how you can make that consumer feel special. Because we talk at the brands that we love are the ones that make us feel special. I know I'll, I'll, I'll give a, a, an analogy. My, you know, in COVID year, my wife hasn't bought a lot of, of clothes to go to work with She's bought a lot of comfortable clothes, as I'm sure, as we all know, a lot of people have done. And so one of the interesting things is, you know, I think it was like her third or fourth order from this brand, and they send her a handwritten note in the package. And now all she can do is talk about that brand. And so it's those little things. And that was was data-driven, right? That was a data-driven of, wow, we just had somebody come back for the X time. So we're going to do something to make that person feel special. And that's how data can really help you is, is thinking about that customer journey. So if there's anything that I can tell merchants to do, it's not just about using data to drive analytics. It's using data to drive your customer experience. For sure. And then something you mentioned earlier, 
doing it cost efficiently as opposed to a paid channel. Why not use a, a lower cost channel like email or SMS if you have it? Yeah. 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 At putting a note in the package, right? Like yeah. there's no cost to that. <laughs> 100% open rate too, right? Exactly. Yeah. Dan, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun and really educational. Uh, so what's the best way to find you online or learn more? Yeah. So check us out, dasi.com. It's D-A-A-S-I-T-Y.com. And then also look us, look us up on LinkedIn because we're putting a lot of content out on LinkedIn around how to use analytics, how to understand the different KPIs, what they mean. And we're trying to help educate everybody, not just about our platform, but really how to become a data-driven organization. Yeah. I, I've seen them. They're, they're called bites. Yes. E-commerce bites, short, sweet to the point, but high impact, a lot of learning in it. Great. Yeah. Dan, thanks so much. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. And that's the episode for today. Thanks so much for listening all the way to the end. We love you for it. If you found anything valuable at all or want to share your feedback, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also just drop us a line, hello at cartoverflow.com. We'd love to hear your feedback or suggestions so we can cover it in a future episode. All right, see you next time.